Romans 6, 12-14, for the context we'll start at verse 1 and read the chapter. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have sent your Son to die and rise again for us. And we're thankful that you have changed our heart, granted us faith and a desire to love you, to please you, and to no longer be slaves of sin, but to be slaves of righteousness, to be your slaves. For we know, Lord, that when we obey you, that is when we are free. 
That is when we have peace and joy. That is when we do not have grief or depression or anything because of our sin. Thank you, Father, for this truth. Thank you for what you've accomplished for us. As we study this part of your word, we ask that you'll also grant us a greater commitment, a greater desire to pursue righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12, verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Do not let it reign. Do not let it reign. It is the king of our life before conversion. Before conversion, as unbelievers, as the wicked world currently still is, sin reigns in them. Sin used to reign in us, but now it doesn't reign anymore. It's not supposed to reign anymore. That's why he says, do not let sin reign. When he says, do not let, he's issuing a commandment. He's issuing an imperative. He's issuing an injunction, something that we ought to avoid. He's calling on us actively to do something. Do not let sin reign. It should not be present in us. Therefore, we actively, conscientiously, with great effort, we should be fighting and striving against sin. He says, do not let sin reign. If sin is the king of our life or used to be the king of our life, we are now dethroning sin day by day because we belong to Christ. We believe he died and rose again on our behalf. So now we are dethroning this king. We are deposing of him because this king is a wretched king. This king is an evil king. This king is a tyrant. This king wants to exploit us and this king wants to destroy us. Therefore, we have to shake off the yoke of this tyrant of a king, which is sin. We must do so. Where does this tyrant work? It says in verse 12, in your mortal body, in your mortal body. And verse 13, your body to sin, your body. He has already said that our body of sin should be done away with or that it was done away with when we identified with the crucifixion of Christ. Verse 6, Romans 6, 6, that our body of sin might be done away with. Then also he says in verse 19, so now present your members, meaning the members of your body, Present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. By body, he means not just that our eyes in and of themselves are evil or our fingers and hands and feet are evil or whatever other parts of our body we might use. He's talking about the obvious physical manifestations of all the sins we commit. Yes, certainly it starts in the heart. He says in verse 17, you became obedient from the heart 
to that form of teaching to which you are committed. That which starts in the heart as sin manifests itself in the flesh or in the body, physical body. Just as that which manifests itself in righteousness first starts in the heart and manifests itself, displays itself by our ears, our eyes, our mouths, our hands, and so forth in our physical body. He's talking about the whole being, but he's emphasizing the bodily parts that actually do the sin. That means then we must avoid exposing our bodily parts to sin. And what is this body? Verse 12. It's a mortal body. It's a lethal body. It's a fatal body. It's got a body, or in the body we have death reigning in us. Mortal is another word for death, or a deathly body. A body that is subject to death. Why? Because of sin. Sin produces death. Romans 5.12 Just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. Romans 5.12 Our body is mortal because of sin. If death is no good, if death is so bad, if death is so fearful for, to all of us, then why is it that the sin that causes death could be good? Who thinks that way that if death is so wrong and evil and bad and, and so miserable, no one wants to think about it or deal with it, then why would we think that the sin that causes death is okay? He's saying no. It's our mortal body because of sin. And further, verse 12, that you should obey its lusts. Sin is either to be obeyed or disobeyed. Sin, he's speaking of sin as a basic concept. Sin manifests itself in the world, the flesh, and the devil. But sin is our enemy in that it produces death and shows itself in the world, the flesh, and the devil. This sin should either be obeyed or it should be disobeyed. Either we follow it or we not follow it. Either we are going to succumb to it or we're going to resist it. It's a matter of obedience. And what is it that it has? It, sin, it says it's lusts. It has lust. Lust is, in the Bible, a strong evil desire. A strong evil desire. Whether that desire is covetousness or sex or uh, anger, a strong evil desire, whatever it might be, that's what it is in the Bible. And these lusts must be disobeyed. These lusts must be beaten down. These lusts must not be pursued. Whatever it takes, remember what Christ said in Matthew 5, 27 to 30. In Matthew 5, 27 to 30, when he spoke of lust in reference to sexual lust and adultery with the eyes, he said that it was so sinful, so wrong, so worthy of eternal punishment in hell that we should pluck out our right eye and cut off our right hand. 
He didn't mean to do it literally because it's not ultimately the eye or the hand where the problem resides. It is in the heart and the desires. And so what did he mean by that? He meant to take extreme measures, drastic measures, take significant steps to avoid sinning like that. That's the, the way we must behave whenever lusts are there tempting us to obey. Take these measures. Now, I said extreme, drastic measures. Extreme or drastic to the flesh. Extreme or drastic to the world. The world will say, you're crazy. Why would you do that? You should just indulge. Just do what you feel like doing. If that's who you are, you have to be yourself after, after all, right? You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be true to yourself. These are the cliches that the world uses to say, just live it up, do what you want. That's not the way we're supposed to be, though. We're not supposed to live it up or just be ourselves because our selves are sinful selves that must be rejected. And if we don't reject our sinful selves, we will perish eternally in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. These lusts must be rejected. Verse 13, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. The members of our body, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, whatever parts of our bodies are used for sin, we must not allow for those members to be exposed to those circumstances. Do not let them be exposed. Romans 3, Romans 3, 13. Romans 3, 13 to 18. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He spoke of the tongue. He spoke of the feet. And he spoke here of the eyes. These instruments or members of our body should not be tools, should not be instruments of sin. Therefore, if something is set before our eyes, we must stop setting those things before our eyes. If it's the ears, that we're, we're listening to something with our ears that we know is sinful, then we should stop it. We should walk away from it or turn it off, whatever it takes with our ears. If it is our hands, we must stop exposing our hands or introducing our hands to those sins. If it is our feet, if it is the places that we frequent, the houses that we frequent, the establishments that we frequent, then we must stop going there. That's what he means. He means to avoid sin. Don't use your body as instruments or tools of unrighteousness, of sin. Unrighteousness is contrary to our righteous God. As he says further in this verse, verse 13, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The members of our body must now be presented to God 
because we belong to him in Christ. If we belong to him, if we're one with him, if we're united to God in Christ, then we are alive from the dead. Sin brought about death. Jesus paid for our sin. Therefore, if he rose from the dead, our life should be alive from the dead. There should be a contrast between the way we used to be to the way we are now. We're not dead anymore. We're alive. If we're alive, then what do individuals who are alive do? They don't rot in the grave. They don't gather maggots. They they don't disintegrate into dust, right? They are fruitful. They are productive. They're doing good things if sin doesn't reign in them, just like it did with Christ. Christ was not subject to death after he rose from the dead. So the life he has is the life he gives to us because we identify with him. And these members of our body are now instruments of righteousness to God. We we now use our ears to listen to the word of God, to listen to the truth of God in order for us to know the will of God, to gain true knowledge of God. We use our eyes to read His Word. We use our eyes to look around us and see who has a need. Who has a need? Who needs to be encouraged? Who is despondent and discouraged? Who needs a word of encouragement or a simple simple gift that might help and cheer up the brother or sister in Christ? How will we use our hands and feet? Where will we go now? What will we do with the instruments of our body. How will we serve God, serve one another, evangelize now with the bodily parts that are supposed to be instruments of righteousness? How will we now obey God? 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Sin... He's now comparing sin to a master. He compares sin to a master. If sin is our master, then that means we are sin's slaves. We are the slave of sin. He's mentioned that in verse 17. You were slaves of sin. 18, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Then in verse 20, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. We are now no longer slaves of sin in Christ. Sin was our master. It was a tyrannical master. It was a master like in Egypt. The master, the Egyptian evil masters of the people of Israel That's the way sin 
was in our life as unbelievers, but not anymore. Sin is not to be that way anymore over us. And why? For you are not under law, but under grace. Sin is not our master anymore. We are able, we are enabled to overcome sin because we have been released from the bondage of sin. We belong to Christ. Christ is now our master. We serve God in Christ. Therefore, we're not obligated. We are not bound. We're not in bondage or enslaved. For you are not under law. Not under law, but under grace. What does the apostle mean? You are not under law. We're not under law because the law held us guilty, held us accountable to disobedience. We're not held accountable anymore. We're not under law in that we're not under the penalty of the law or the curse of the law for the sins that we have committed. We're not under the penalty of the law. Instead of the curse of the law reigning and ruling in us, now we have grace. We are under grace. We are under the blessings of grace. Instead of the curses of the law due to our sin, now we are under the blessings of grace. Because God has made us one with Christ or united us to Christ. If we're united to God in Christ, therefore, that blessing has come upon us. If that blessing includes release from sin, release from the bondage of sin, if that's what it includes, therefore, we're not going to let sin be a master over us. Instead, we have freedom. Instead, we have power. Instead, we have wisdom, knowledge. We have the spirit of grace dwelling within us. We have all of these benefits under grace because we're no longer under the penalty, the curse, the bondage of the law that assigned us or resigned us to continue in lawlessness and further lawlessness. It's no longer reigning and ruling. It no longer has the mastery over us. At this point, a word of clarification. If we are under grace and sin shall not be master over you, does that mean we are able or permitted by God to sin, to do as we please? Absolutely not. May it never be. That thought, far be it from us that anybody should have that thought, because it's contrary to the whole argument of this chapter and the whole letter and the Bible. It's contrary to the whole argument of Scripture here. For he's not saying because we're under grace, because we are 
in Christ, because he has saved us, it doesn't mean now we have permission or allowance, freedom to sin. He's saying the very opposite. He started the chapter that way. Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying it also in verse 15. After introducing the word grace that is so easily distorted, so easily perverted, so easily abused and tortured in Christianity, he knows that. So in verse 15, after he said, you are not under law but under grace, verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And his answer immediately is, may it never be. As he started the chapter, may it never be. Do you not know? We should already know. If we understood the true gospel, we would know we are not to continue in sin. We are supposed to daily reject sin. And now we are slaves for obedience, verse 16. We are supposed to be pursuing obedience resulting in righteousness, verse 16. Now we are obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, verse 17. Verse 18, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Then verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, these are our pursuits. No longer the world, the flesh, and the devil. No longer sin. Now, the Savior. That's all that should consume us. That's all that should be on our mind. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.